Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Liz Beecroft, and I'm this week's guest on the Kicks and Chit Show, so check it out and go Sixers. What's good, everybody? We're back. It's your boy Gerard and your girl Gabby. Episode 55, the double nickel kicks and shit show. Oh, now, you know, Gabby, I start off every show asking what's going on in those streets. Now, I kind of have a feeling what's going on in in those streets. Wow. This is how we're going to start today. (laughs) I'm I'm like, yeah, I'm extra early today, you guys. (laughs) The night after the Knicks get knocked out of the playoffs. To give me this passive aggressive bullshit. It's it's first of all in the most beautiful, polite way, though, because that's who you are, John. You're beautiful and polite. Thank you. I love you for that. Thank you. Respectfully. When you're aggressively passive. (laughs) Respectfully. Respectfully. And see, when I say respectfully, it's not like you where you're actually being disrespectful. I'm not being disrespectful. Because as I said to you for all season long, I was championing what your fan, what, what your what your club was doing, where you guys are. Hell, I even picked you in this series. And I said, look, no matter what happens, win, lose. I mean, I, can't, I hate when people say win, lose, or draw. There's no draw. You can't draw. You win or you lose. That's it. Win or lose, you are ahead of schedule. Vegas picked you guys to win 22 games this year. You killed that. And you were the four seed in the postseason. That's, yo, kudos. So first, round of applause to the Knicks and their organization for, you know, pulling themselves up from the doldrums of the NBA. Now, I know you're feeling some kind of way, though, and so I want to I, I want to get your, your your pulse and your vibe. What, what's happening? How are you feeling? That was the most drawn out. <laughs> I told you so. Speech I have ever heard in my life. I hope that falls into like the same kind of respectfully that <laughs> well, well, what, I, what I told you so. I did. I, what I told you so. <laughs> you basically said I told you so. It's like tell me I told you so without telling me I told you so. You know that TikTok trend, Gerard. I know you always want us on TikTok. That's not going to be our first video. Um, I love a good I'm gonna, TikTok. I'm going to give you an example of how I feel. Right. I, first of all, I'm going to agree with you. We weren't supposed to be here in the first place. So I think that that should be celebrated. I've been to playoff games. I've been fortunate enough to go to playoff games at the Garden. 
nothing was like what I experienced this time. I mean, I think it's also different, you know, being a part of the MSG family, but there was nothing that could explain the energy this time around, you know? And I think that's what made it extra tough and extra emotional. You know, I've been putting tea bags on my face this morning, uh, you know, to aid with some of the puppiness, (laughs) but I'm going to tell you how I felt about the rest of this game. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one thing I love is a good social media moment. I mean, look at me. I look like a girl who loves a good social media moment. I'll leave that right there. But we have these giant mix letters that are outside of the stadium. People take pictures with them. Some guy was like guy with the sign, you know, and was like, I'm skipping my prom to be at this game. Hmm. The kind of man that like, ladies, look out for that man. He's <laughs> That's the kind of man you want in your life. But behind those signs... Because New York is back, as they say. Mm. Back like we never left. There was a drunk man literally taking a shit on the sidewalk. And I feel like that, to me, was Mm. a microcosm for what this series was, right? It looked beautiful and shiny on the outside because we had a darling of a season. And behind the scenes... We got shit on. That might that man might have might as well been Trey Young. Like honestly. <laughs> he didn't take a bow after he took a shit. But you know. <laughs> I just I think that, you know, we weren't supposed to be there in the first place. I also think, you know, going as a fan, mm-hmm. it was a culture shock. Go mm-hmm. like every game, it was like even more progressive. So I know how I felt going. I can't imagine what it was like for the players. And I'm gonna say that I know that's like not unique to the Knicks. It's across the board but the same thing happened when the bubble happened in the first place we saw players fall apart that were normally great because of the lack of fans so having you know full capacity the garden rocking sixteen thousand people chanting trey is balding and he was killing y'all regardless (laughs) not in that game but yes agreed he was i mean trey trey is a troll who lives for that and i respect that i respect people who can play under that pressure and rise to that occasion But I think going from 2,000 fans to 15,000 plus, plus, literally overnight, within Mm -hmm. a week, I felt like I time traveled, Rod. And it was like, it was a wild experience for me. I can't imagine how it felt for them. And I think that that was what really got in our heads before the series even really started. MSG is an intimidating arena to play in in the first place. Well, on either side. But that's my two cents. Thank you. It's coming to to your TED talk. Here's what I will say. Um, Playoffs is pressure. And pressure busts pipes, as they say. I was going to say no pressure, no diamonds. But (laughs) but it also busts pipes. Correct. And Mm -hmm. and so, and I say this all the time on my very many platforms I talk about NBA basketball. The playoffs expose your weaknesses and they make them glaring right and look from a basketball standpoint and just looking at the talent i knew the hawks were a better team but you know for the sake of my 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 nick fan co-host over here and new york city is i was giving you guys hope i was like you guys play gritty you play hard like i could see this series going seven just off the strength of playing hard now, if I want to get into the basketball like details of it, part of the problem is Tibbs made literally zero adjustments. If your adjustment is I'm going to start Derrick Rose and Taj Gibson, yeah, um, that's a way to go, um, right? So there were tactical things that, you, that he could have done from a basketball standpoint that could have made made some difference. Uh, but ultimately, you know, the talent just uh, the talent gap was wide, right? That Hawks are just a more talented team, and in the NBA. 
the team that wins a playoff series more oftentimes than not the best play has the best player in the series and that was Trey Young right and so it it just is what it is now again offseason you got some things to think about you know extending Randall more development drafting all that but build off this positivity and this momentum that you have set up right now and I think you'll be able to do it with Leon Rose and William Wesley at the helm I think good things are coming it's patience right like it's cliche and it's been said before Rome wasn't built in a day people you ain't going from being in the doldrums to oh we win in championships now calm down like it's gonna take some time Agree. I mean, I think aside from Pete Davidson, nobody thought we were winning a championship. You know, I really enjoyed that interview on first take. But Pete, Pete Davidson, uh, uh, the boyfriend of Phoebe Jennifer, possibly. Potentially. That's what the streets are saying. Anyway. That's what the streets are saying. But, you know, and I, I think that was the vibe last night at the Garden. It was a little bit somber. It was uh, a saddening quiet. And, you know, I think it was pretty evident when we went to Atlanta we meaning the Knicks, uh, that the series might not be favorable for us. The only thing at that point that I was hoping for was that we didn't lose at home. But I will say, everybody embraced everyone. Like, it it didn't clear out early. I mean, people were leaving early, Mm -hmm. but I still think that, you know, Burke fought hard to the end. He had a few, like, really good buckets in, like, the last two minutes. I think D. Rose... It was nice to see him back, especially after his like first stint with the Knicks. This time there was just something calm about him. And I, I think that's what the Knicks need is to not get too caught up in the hype. Mm-hmm. D Rose, you couldn't buy a jersey if you wanted to at the game because they were sold out. <laughs> you know, I was going to add like an N-T-H-A-L at the end of it, but you know, neither here nor there. Uh, but it was, it was beautiful to see. And I think, you know, people do sleep on the Hawks, myself included. You know, Gallinari was part of the mellow trade 90 million years ago. He's been in the league for over 12 years. I'm a big fan of his. Was not a fan during the series for obvious reasons. <laughs> but, like, homie couldn't miss, you Gallo, know? Kevin Herter, uh, DeAndre Hunter. I mean, like, up in the Clint Capella, up and down. Lou Williams, Bogey, I mean... It, it was it was deep, and I think you know the trolling of Trey Young. Like now, seeing that he is a player, like this was a different Trey Young during the series. I knew he was good. I mean, you know, he also was like star of some eBay commercials that were pretty fire as well. Um, and we knew he was a great player, but the way that he performed under that level of pressure was a new version of he, trolling he, Trey. You he, know, he, he showed like, out. He showed out, and I think you know. If you know about Trey's background, you know, in many ways, he was built for this, for these stage, for this stage, Absolutely. right? Again, I've talked about this before when certain people like him, first of all, and again, this is not about Knicks fans like doing anything like wrong, but if you, if you think that you're chanting and you're whatever is going to get in the head of the 170 pound, like barely six foot dude who made it to the NBA as an, and is an all-star. Like, it, no, like the, the odds he has to overcome to get it into the land of giants, right? To be as good as he is, that, that's not going to phase him. If anything, as I said before, that is his fuel. Oh, y'all think I'm trash? Cool. Let me show you how non-trash I am. Right? Like, look at this right. hot garbage over here. Let me show you. <laughs> I mean, I, I totally agree with you in that sense. And I mean, we we saw this with the uh, same generation, but like a little bit older, you know, two words, 
Steph Curry, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, count yeah. it out. That's the fuel. And I think, you know, uh, trust me, you know, I love a good trash talking <laughs> chant. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of my Knicks for fighting hard till the end. You know, I think it's really tough being an athlete in New York. And I, I feel for Randall with the, the stuff that he was dealing with in the press conferences, like New York, if there's a child that is missing shots during a contest, during like a quarter break, yeah, yeah. Camp, booed. that yeah. kid gets booed. No so, doubt. You know, I, the pressure, the pressure is real and no pressure, no diamonds. I'm happy that we were in the playoffs. I think it was a surprise to be there. Like, it, you know, I say this all the time, but honestly, it's an honor to be nominated. Yes. Yes. So kudos, Knicks. You had a hell of a season. You know, you got five, you got, you got three home playoff games. That's pretty cool. I mean, you lost two of the three, but you got, but you got three games. That first game though was, was tough. And I think there were a couple bad calls that could have differentiated the game. And I think, you know, if our first quarter was a little bit more lively, I'm not just going to blame bad calls. I, you know, we had a little bit, uh, a little bit more lively, but first quarter, I think that game could have gone either way as well. I think that would have shifted the whole momentum of the series. I mean, ultimately, you know, from a basketball perspective, the Knicks just didn't, you couldn't score enough. That's just ultimately what it comes down to. You didn't have enough people when we needed to buy the basketball. Right. And you'll see this now in the NBA, in the playoffs, this is this game is so much more about skill than it's ever than it ever has been. The more skill players you have on the floor, the more likelihood you have of, you have of winning. Think about it. The Hawks put out lineups where literally everybody can shoot. Well, that's a problem because we can't. Who you're doubling, right? Like, and you try to double. Okay, cool. I know who I'm picking apart now. Like the Knicks just didn't have those options. So you know. But again, this is great. You build through the draft. You build through free agency trades. Like slowly but surely the direction the Knicks are heading in heading in is positive be happy be grateful look forward to next season Knicks fans absolutely and I mean I love that the rumor mill is already swirling like the Dame Dollar coming to the Knicks oh my God. <laughs> all right Knicks, Knicks fans Knicks fans calm all the way down <laughs> on can't getting, believe everything you hear uh, but, Damian you know. Lillard you're getting Bradley B like just calm down okay one speed Gerard we got one speed <laughs> literally y'all and and I will allow you to tell this story. So I, you know, you said there's another thing happening. Re, <laughs> we we talked about it off air. I was like, I'm going back to an arena to start covering games again, and I'm going to uh, game one, Nets Bucks conference semifinals. And you're like, I'll be your plus one. The only way you'll get me to go to a game because they're giving away tickets. And I'm like, what? Why are you Knicks fans so concerned about Brooklyn? Like, I don't get it. Like. Y'all won one playoff games. Y'all out in the streets chanting, we want Brooklyn. Like, I just, I don't understand the preoccupation with them. Again, if you are the team that owns New York City, why are they even in your brains? Like, who cares about them? I mean, they're not. We like to talk trash. That's what it is. <laughs> but for me, and I can, I'm only speaking on behalf of myself, and I actually had a conversation with a few of my friends who work at the Garden yesterday about the Nets. The part that's really tough with the Nets, and I've said this before, is as someone who grew up in Jersey, grew mm -hmm. up going to Nets games, if the Nets were bought by a franchise and moved to like St. Louis, right? nobody would give two shits. Sorry, I'm, I'm cursing up a storm That's today. Fine. All I'm good. Feeling the vibes. All good. You know, no one would care. But the fact that they moved to the backyard. But that isn't the, the players' game. fault. They didn't do that. <laughs> no, no one's faulting the players. We're talking about, I'm talking about like organizational level. <laughs> We felt spite because it's like, hey, 
I'm going to break up with you and then I'm going to date your best friend. <laughs> That's how it feels. And by the way, I'm going to pretend like we never met in the first place. <laughs> Until we decide to release some throwback jerseys that were super fire and a nod to the Nets colors. <laughs> like, relax, everybody, okay? And don't get me wrong. I think the Nets, you know, they do an amazing game presentation. I told you, as the friends over there, they do a great job. Just it just... Shouts to Team Hype, shouts to the Brooklyn Nets, you know, they they do a beautiful job. And I think they've also done a beautiful job of differentiating themselves from the vibe of the garden. You know, I think that in itself is is very impressive and remarkable. And, you know, wish my friends that work there all the success. But at the end of the day, it just, it, it's like, like when you go to Williamsburg and everything has a hashtag on it. It's just very manufactured, right? It's like another cog in the wheel of social media. And, you know, like I love it. social media makes the world go round, but like. I love it. So basically yeah, what you're saying, that. you and all the other Knicks fans are rooting hard for the Milwaukee Bucks this series. I'm not even going to watch. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not that level of petty. I also love playoff basketball. <laughs> But yes, I will be rooting for, for Milwaukee. I'll be wearing my Giannis Zoom Freak one, even in the house. That's the kind of I love it. I, I listen, love listen, I, listen, <laughs> I, I get it. Fan behavior and fan culture is rooted in pettiness. So yes, you know, petty wop, do your thing, you know, like, <laughs> I love it. This is hilarious. Well, folks, um, you know, as the Knicks have, are now left, I don't know how much more New York basketball we'll be talking about on, on this show. Um, you know, no, 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 no. I, I just mean going forward. As, we might I'm, like, drop I'm, in. I'm still rocking. I'm going to be rocking my Knicks gear. It's pride, <laughs> month, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll drop it a little playoff stuff here and there. But, you know, it, it's it, again, hell of a ride. Kudos, Knicks. But, folks, stay tuned because. We have a very, very special guest coming up next. Someone who is involved in the world of sneakers. Obviously, that's the connection to get on this show. One, two, sports fan. But three, works intimately in a topic that has touched the sports community very specifically over the last few days, but has been a topic of discussion literally over the past few years. And I'll leave it there. That's what they call a tease in the segment. Stay tuned. What's good, everybody? We're back. Gabby. You know, I love technology so much. It's like my favorite thing in the whole world. I mean, actually, I despise technology, but that's, no that's a conversation for another day. We are joined by sneaker enthusiast, sports fan, licensed clinical social worker, Liz Beecroft. Liz, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's Thursday. The week's almost over. But yes, week is. Thank the good Lord. The week is almost over. I'm with that here's why i think the older i get and the more responsibilities i get in life like three-day weekends on paper sound phenomenal don't get me wrong three days away from work it means four days of work in five yeah yeah five days of work in four days like that sucks and then add on some summer fridays Mm. and some next playoff games and like well We talked about this at the top of the show. You don't have to worry about Knicks playoff games anymore because <laughs> your squad's done. Thank you but- for checking on my mental health today. <laughs> <laughs> you know? well, that's, why, that's why Liz is here to help us out with that. But Liz is so happy because her Philadelphia 76ers into round two against the Atlanta Hawks and Trey Young. How are we feeling? I'm feeling optimistic. I'm excited. Um, I'm not too worried about round two. I think defensively we are set between Tease and Ben, even Tyrese Maxey has been playing phenomenally. Love so. Tyrese Maxey. 
I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm optimistic. I, I, I love what you're saying about your defense. It, I mean, the Sixers defense, it can crank up to a level that whew, few teams can match. Where I worry about your team, particularly if Embiid's not playing, how are you going to score enough points? I mean, like, <laughs> last night, we have people that can step up. We have a decent bench. Um, I love it. I love it. Love watching Ben though go from point to center. Like I think that is just like the coolest thing ever. Probably um, his natural position, if we're being honest. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, hopefully they have people that step up. Um, Tyrese has been stepping up. Toby, Tobias, I love him too. Oh, and that, uh, yeah, everyone else stays healthy, and we just get through the second round. And I think after this round, hopefully, if we get through, we're really going to need Embiid the Bucks or the Nets but correct because I I just you know the 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 conference semis between the Bucks and the Nets and then if the Sixers do advance and whoever comes out of that series man talk about a, I mean you you come out of that you might just be exhausted by the time you get to the finals right and you're just like ah, I got nothing yeah. um, one piece of advice though what's that I- I would argue the top three teams right now in the league are all in the East. So. I would, Ooh. I might have to agree with you there. Okay, I, I like that. I mean, I do love what Utah is doing. I like what Phoenix is doing, but I think just from a pure both ends of the floor, I think those three teams are. Yeah. Which adds to the unexpected nature of this whole season. Um, but my one piece of advice is do not have your fans in Philly chant. Trey is balding. <laughs> I know we're going to be talking about mental health, but let me tell you, he's, He's strong in the mental health department, that one. I mean, I I don't know what to expect from Philly fans. Yes, know. you do. Yes, you that do. Is fair. <laughs> yes, you fair. do. <laughs> I'm hoping we stay respectful. <laughs> respectful. Philly fans and respectful. <laughs> Go ahead, man. <laughs> well, as, as Gabby and I talked about to start the show, you know, of course, mental health is so important. What Trey Young is able to do is impressive. And, you know, and this is going to dovetail into so much of the work you do. He is fortunate in that support system he has from his parents and sort of like how his dad raised his mom and dad raised him. He is the classic and proverbial chip on my shoulder guy. And, you know, as I said to Gabby earlier, you are not going to get into the head of the barely six foot tall, barely 170 pound, 70 pound guy who had to make it into a land of giants and be the star that he is. The, all that you're doing, that F you, you're balding, that is just fuel for his fire. Oh, word. You think I suck? Cool. Let me show you how much I don't suck. And I eviscerate your team. But not every athlete has the ability to deal with that. Um, talk about the importance of traumas in our lives and how if they're not addressed what that mean particularly means particularly if you're an athlete and you have to perform on a large stage in front of thousands and then whatever you say gets aggregated and people talk about you on social media like what is that process like yeah well I think the way that trauma you know typically shows up in our bodies whether it be physically or mentally emotionally um you know, it it puts us into this fight or flight response. And for a lot of athletes, I think that response can be really helpful, like on the court, because it creates hypervigilance, more awareness, Um, your concentration is a lot better, Uh, your reactivity is a lot better. However, when that translates off the court with media, with just being a human being, it's often really hard to to find those, um, that response helpful. We have to learn ways to manage it. But then when you're, you know, considered 
being a professional athlete where you have to perform on the court and then you go back to living a normal everyday life as a, a person, which is what they are, humans. Um, we have to also find ways how to turn that on and off. And for a lot of people who've experienced trauma that it's really hard to, to turn that on and off. We can't just flip a switch and it just goes away. You have to do a lot of work on your mental health to be able to process past trauma, to understand um, and reframe, you know, maybe any unhelpful thinking patterns, identify those and, and learn coping skills to really push through and to overcome a lot of that. And it's hard. It takes years of work, years that a lot of these men in the NBA have never really done because for a lot of them, mental health wasn't something, whether it be culturally, financially, just core beliefs in general, um, wasn't something that was really prioritized. And so I love, you know, that the MBPA and the NBA now has these initiatives in place where they can offer resources, but I think what is lacking potentially, I'm obviously not there internally, is the ability to reach a lot of these guys in order to take it seriously. Um, you see the likes of Kevin Love obviously talking out and speaking on it and, and Paul George and um, there's a couple other men that mm -hmm. have spoken up as well. And I I think that's great. And I hope that also sparks some change and, and potentially allows more creativity in the way that we approach a lot of these players and coming from a less clinical stuffy perspective and more of a, let's meet you where you're at. Let's go out and shoot, shoot hoops and casually have conversations about mental health to make them feel safe and secure because it's not easy for anyone to talk about feelings and emotions. I love where your head's at. I love what you're talking about there because Yes, in the NBA in particular, first of all, sports in general, it's just toxic male culture, right? That's just what it is. You're taught when you're young, even, you know, as a young boy growing up, don't cry, suck it up, like all those things. But crying is a very natural and normal thing to do when you are experiencing something, right? And particularly at the highest level of sport, where any sign of weakness, and unfortunately, that is how speaking about mental health is talked about as weakness, even though, as you know, Liz, well, actually, talking about mental health is actually a sign of immense strength. And once you're able to figure out what that is, that shows you how strong you are as a person. Because Paul George even talked about it this year when he came out and talked about his issues last year in the bubble, how guys on the court would talk junk to him this season about what he had said last year, right? Sort of coming at him. And that's the nature of sport, right? We see weakness. It's like the lion and, oh man, there's the whole pack of gazelle. So they don't go after the lead one. Ah, uh, that weak one in the back, got him. My eyes are zeroed in. And that's how sport is. And I, I wonder, from your perspective, how much of, of a player's ability to, because you said, meet them where they are, right? Talk and, and just be, let's just be a real human. How much of it from a clinical perspective is, guys, strip away all the ridiculousness that you think about mental health. And let me tell you what it actually is, right? How important is it to have that kind of a conversation? Oh, that's incredibly important. And I think without it even being in the NBA in general, like breaking down the stigma of mental health, you know, letting people know first and foremost that every single person on this earth has mental health, whether or not we have a mental health condition is another story. That's the difference between someone struggling with mental health versus just having it. We have physical health. We go to the doctor, we get physicals, we do that. So doing that regularly, like we go to the gym, should be normal for our mental health. We go to our therapist and we just talk about our feelings and our emotions. It's a healthy way to let that out, just like it's a healthy way to kind of 
work on any physical components that we're focusing on. So I think, you know, in any therapy, therapeutic relationship or any mental health treatment, like the first step of it is to really kind of get an understanding from your client as to like what their understanding and expectations are when it comes to mental health um, and helping them understand like what therapy is, what it's not, what mental health is, what it's not. Um, really under helping them understand that talking about your mental health is a really good thing. It's a way to take care of yourself and it's not a weakness. And actually what's being weak about it is pushing things under the rug and hiding it because I compare humans to soda bottles. And like, if you think of a Pepsi bottle and you just like shake it and you shake it and you shake it, that's like all the shit that's being thrown at you and all the stress every day. And if you don't do those things like self-care or going to therapy, like, which is essentially like slowly releasing the seal to let that air out incrementally, eventually you're going to open it. And eventually in real life, that stress is going to get to a point where you can't tolerate it anymore. And it's going to just explode. And that's like a Pepsi bottle, but like as a human, it either looks like lashing out on others, making dumb decisions, drugs and alcohol, fighting, you name it. And so that's where I think people need to realize mental health is really an important thing. Love it. I love that analogy. And I think, you know, this pandemic has really brought mental health to the forefront. You know, when you were talking about uh, starting younger, I mean, it made me think of our guest, Sean Crawford, who we had on, who talked all about the importance of mental health and burying things down. Sneakers were his outlet for a while before he got professional help. You know, I think it's a real thing. And I think, you know, with this pandemic, people are talking about it more, but, you know, in light of everything that's going on with Naomi Osaka and even just going from 2000 fans to having 16,000 fans at a game, like it feels like we've been time traveling. Mm-hmm. How does that impact these athletes and, you know, all, all of us? I mean, what are the different ramifications that you're seeing as a result of this pandemic? Yeah, I definitely see, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we had to kind of face the fact that mental health is real. For a lot of people who were diagnosed with conditions prior to COVID, they were actually set up better for this because they already had those skills and they mastered a lot of that and were ready to cope essentially when we had to adjust. It wasn't easy, but they had the skills and the the tools that they needed. Whereas a lot of people who maybe were in denial about mental health or maybe just didn't prioritize their mental health were pushed into a corner where they had no choice but to acknowledge it and they had to find a therapist or they had to start prioritizing it. So I think that's why mental health over the last year has become, become such a buzzword. And that's a good thing and a bad, a bad thing. And that's a whole other topic I can go down. But I think, you know, now, you know, fast forward to, to today, we're changing and the adjustment of being inside 24 seven is now starting to look like we have access to the outside world and, and being able to engage in things that we couldn't do for over a year. So you know, people are going to have to get used to this new adjustment and what that looks like. And so for a lot of people, that means having social anxiety. How do we interact with people when what we did for the last year was essentially virtual Zoom calls or, you know, texting and calls and social media? How do we go out and be around crowds of people when we still are concerned if COVID is still floating around out there, if we still can contract? contact it or, you know, pass it along to friends and family members that we might live with. And, you know, how do we even, you know, mentally and physically sustain ourselves when we're doing this? We haven't done it for so long. Now to go out two nights on a weekend feels draining. (laughs) Exhausting. It's exhausting. It's, it's draining. So we're going to have to almost work our mental stamina back up to the point where we can actually go out and just like 
be social and be humans again because well not be humans again but be out and about as humans mm -hmm. so it's yeah it's another ad adjustment period it's another transitional period that's going to be difficult one of the things you talk about of course is seeing athletes as human beings right because that's what they are yes mm -hmm. you pay money for a ticket whatever you're enjoying entertainment which by the way fans at the end of the day it's entertainment for you like you should not derive your entire self-worth as a from, as a person based on the outcome of a game you have no impact in, right? Like, go enjoy, have a good time, be sad if your team loses, all the things, okay, cool. But, you know, have a level of sort of like understanding about what you're actually, what's your role in this whole thing is. That's my little PSA. But as, um, as a, a licensed professional, Liz, and I know it's different for, for different people, but what are some of the ways, because you talked about fight flight, and that's something that most people know what that is. What are some of the ways in which if you've had past traumas and you're now an athlete and now all of a sudden 15,000 people are doing whatever, I was just involved in this intense competition on the floor, mano a mano or team versus, and a fan spits at me or throws, like what, what are some of the, the ramifications that could happen to an, a, an athlete can, can sort of exhibit in that scenario? Yeah, well, I mean, one, first and foremost, the amount of pressure that they're already under to perform well. You know, like fans, we get mad when the, our favorite teams aren't winning or people aren't playing well. But if we're mad, that person's probably twice as mad. Like they obviously want to play well, too. And, and things happen. Like we sometimes just don't perform. Um, and I think, you know, then when you have those emotions tied into it, if someone's not performing well, or even if they are, and someone throws popcorn on you, like as a human, if someone came up to me on the street and threw popcorn on me, I'd be livid. But then to add the fight or flight response into it, your emotions are where baseline you're here, you're already up here. So then you have that happen and you go even higher. And to be able to have that emotional regulation, which is essentially knowing what coping skills you need to do in order to bring yourself back down to the baseline um, is really is, is hard because in those moments when we're in fight or flight, we're feeling anxious or on edge, you know, the typical capacity of our brains is here. But when we're in those states, it's here. So that's why it's really hard for us to find words, to formulate sentences, to, to think logically and know how to respond appropriately in some of those situations, because we're only pulling from maybe like 30% of what we have in our minds. And so in those situations, you're already amped up. And for a lot of people who have experienced trauma, their baseline is already higher than most than people who haven't. So I think that's something that we also have to take into consideration is, you know, these are human beings who have adversity in their life. And like, it's not fair to add more stress on top of them. They're, they're out here doing their job. We wouldn't go up to an actor or an act actress who we also look for for entertainment and do that kind of stuff. So why do we think it's okay to do that to a professional athlete? And that's where, you know, we need to figure out how to be respectful as, as fans and, and just not, um, not act like that. I totally agree. I think, uh, you know, Gerard, we talked about this the other week, that Ron Artest fight with the fan, uh, the legendary moment. I mean, that is feeling more and more relatable, like as, as wild as that sounds like, I mean, if anyone ever showed up to my job and was barking orders at me and throwing popcorn at me, I would light them on fire. Like, let's be honest. So <laughs> right, yes, I think the players currently, like, a lot of credit for handling themselves with grace and style. And, you know, Liz, we were talking about this a little bit offline um, before we started recording about how these players have lives outside of here, too. Like, 
you know, I think once in my life I had someone troll me on social media being like, mm, fat when I did some collab with this dress line, one person. And I was like having a meltdown. So for these players to be able to overcome that all the time, I mean, especially I'm like the world's greatest stage. There's so much pressure right now. I think to your point, people don't know how to act anymore either. And I think this is where some of this awful fan behavior is coming from is that people forget how to act in public and think that, you know, if you want to yell at your TV and throw popcorn in your home, that's very different than, doing that out in public it's just it's It's appalling it's very entitled behavior Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely these guys any athletes does not even the nba players any athlete they go home they have families they have kids friends they have personal lives they they pay their freaking cable bill the same way that we pay our cable bill like it's not any different and then to have to bring that home it's the whole idea of like work-life balance right like how do you go home and have a balance at home when you're dealing with fans tweeting at you, sending death threats. Like last year, Danny Green's girlfriend, mm-hmm. Beyonce, was getting death threats. Mm-hmm. Because of one shot. Because he missed some shots. Like, really? Yeah. It's- but meanwhile, he's in the NBA finals. So right. <laughs> how terrible is he really doing? Like, it's insane. 12 right now for threes in the playoffs or something. Some, his, I don't know. He's yeah. out there. But it's just, it's like ridiculous. And then to like, consider that layer of it and then for them to have to go out the next night and just let all that stuff completely to the side and perform if you're a fan and you want your team to win don't add more stress for them to have to try and leave behind where they get on the court the next night like that's just so like counter yep i'm with you and you know i've said this before and i'll say it again the malice of the palace and that whole scenario and how it was talked about was always from the vantage point of Steven Jackson going into the stand. But like, I'm like, no, that is wrong. And that's not the point. The point is these fans felt entitled and felt some kind of way to step onto the floor into these players place of work. Look, man, I'm telling you right now, any fan that steps onto a court or comes into any contact of touching a player, if that player turns around and cold cocks you, you had it coming. Like, listen, like you don't like, again, as you mentioned, they're involved in an already hyper competitive situation. All of a sudden I feel someone grab or touch me from, I don't know where, what do you think the natural reaction is going to be? Right? A response. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yes. I actually had clients who like would listen to music as like they're coping and a teacher had like grabbed this kid because he couldn't, he had like these headphones on, he couldn't hear him. And the kid was extremely traumatized. Turn around and clock the teacher because like, you don't just go up and touch someone that you don't know. <laughs> yep. Yes. It, it's just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so many levels. <laughs> you have the argument of like, oh, well, they make so much money. And like reality, Jack, like you could be the wealthiest person in the world and you're not exempt from feeling feelings and emotions. Like it doesn't matter. And yes, you can still go and get, use that money to get services and help yourself. And that is definitely a privilege, but mental health is not just something that goes away. Like mm-hmm. it's something we deal with forever. That is why the same saying healing is not linear is a thing because we will have our good days, but there will inevitably be bad days as well. And sometimes we don't know when those bad days are coming, but we need to do our due diligence to make sure we have the tools to set us up for the bad days so they don't go as low as they potentially can. And it's just like, you know, people just see it as very like all or nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not, it's just very, it's very gray in in between. And 
you know, mental health, if you struggle with, with it in any type of way, like it's never, it never really goes away. You just learn how to manage it better. Yep. Well and I, think, I think this Osaka conversation that's happening is exactly about that, right? It's not about the mm-hmm. money that you have. It's about being a human being at the end of the day. Um, I want to pivot a little bit here, you know, because I know you are a big sneaker enthusiast and I've been following you for a while now. I know that probably sounds super creepy, but you know, I think you being such a big part of sneaker culture and mental health being so much more intertwined to that, you've done some really cool collabs and partnerships. Um, I'd love for you to talk more about that and how, you know, sneaker culture has kind of really embraced this part of the conversation and what you're doing to kind of bring that to life in a different kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because I, when I was young, I got into sneakers because of basketball. My idol to this day is Allen Iverson, which when I share my shoes later, stay on friend. Shouts to Philly. <laughs> Almost his birthday too. <laughs> um, so by nature of AI, that is how I got into shoes. I want it to be, not only the best player on the court, but have the best kicks on the court. So that's what sparked my love of sneakers. And as I grew older, I was always one of those girls who all my friends were guys. I never really got along with a lot of the girls growing up. And one of my best guy friends, Vinny, was like an SB dunk collector since like forever. He's the person who, who kind of expanded my knowledge outside of basketball silhouettes into other shoes. So me and him growing up would go all over the, like, the country or not the country the state of pennsylvania sorry <laughs> driving countrywide That's what I said. people do it people do it <laughs> going all over the state of pa looking for different shoes and releases um so while i was growing up playing basketball i struggled really badly with panic attacks and i it got to the point where basketball was a huge part of my life i played year-round on aau teams i played in college and for me like i couldn't go away to a sleepaway camp without having a severe like panic anxiety attack and you know how it is like when you're playing a sport if you don't do all that stuff in the summer and the off season you don't get you don't get playing time and i was always a starter i was a good player so my parents would literally have to get like a hotel nearby no matter where we would go just because they knew i inevitably would have like a breakdown so they got me into therapy at a young age, which is kind of like what taught me a lot about mental health and just what I was experiencing when I was going through. And it helped. I eventually got over it. I think my mom was really scared that, you know, by the time I got to college, I wouldn't be able to go anywhere for school because I wouldn't be able to stay over. Um, But luckily I, you know, grew past that and was able to. And so that's essentially why I decided to pursue a career in mental health because of my own experience with it. But also because of basketball, finding out I had the struggles with mental health so it all kind of ties together um so back to 2019 when I did the in my feels 270 it was through the cultivator program with Nike um Megan Wilson had done a couple silhouettes with them I think she did a 95 and an Air Force One and she did did a couple runs with them that's how I was put on to cultivator um and they had posted something about applying like New York creatives we're looking for you I applied um couple months went by I finally started seeing friends who also applied either get accepted or declined and I didn't get any type of email so I reached out because I'm a very anxious person and I'm also very much a control freak <laughs> I was like hey just want to check in what's going on and um it turns out I I typed my email wrong so luckily I did that because then I found out I was accepted awesome. and <laughs> I mean like yeah it's wild so <laughs> if um 
when I applied through the program, I said, like, if I were to ever do a shoe, I would combine my two worlds into one, like being a therapist and my love of sneakers. And, you know, in when I worked in the nonprofit space before private practice, I worked with a lot of kids in foster care. And I also worked for a juvenile justice program in New York. And the way that I engaged a lot of my clients who did not look like me, who did not come from the same area as me, shared barely any similar experiences as I did was through sneakers and basketball. We would literally have sessions where we would just go out to a park and shoot and just casually talk about mental health. We would talk about shoes for a session and they were like, okay, she's not that weird. <laughs> she's <getting it. laughs> amazing. So it was really my way of meeting them where they're at, which was something I, we both related on. Um, and it was, it was fun. I enjoyed it just as much as they did. So that's kind of how the whole In My Feels 270 came to be. And to be honest, like before that dropped, like I was super nervous because I did not know how it was going to be received in the secret community because I never really saw it like spoken about publicly. And, you know, at the time it was very much like hype beast culture. I thought people were going to be like, oh, this is corny. It's not a Travis Scott collab. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. Blessed. <laughs> so it came, it dropped and, you know, in two days, it sold out in under two days. I was floored. I was blown away. Awesome. And, uh, I owe like a lot of credit to my friends because through that program, like Nike doesn't really do much with the marketing for it. Like they host it on their, their site and sell it for us. And the opportunity obviously, which is amazing, but as far as the rollout, that's up to us. So all of my friends that are creatives, we recreated a lot of the old Nike ads and decided like for me, whenever I do a mental health club, I want to make sure it's not just like, here's a t-shirt for mental health. Cause at the end of the day, that t-shirt's not doing shit for me or my mental health. <laughs> I want to make sure that people being impacted by mental health are, are being recognized and, and helped. So that means like giving, you know, a large percentage back, which in this case, I donated the entire portion that I made off of the shoe. Um, we had a launch party that raised more money. We gave resources out and all those ads, we included like hotlines and like numbers and stuff that people can actually use as tools for their mental health. So that was really received well, which then led me to an event in Philly at P's and Q's, met up with Bobby Hundreds at his book signing there. And that's how the Hundreds collab came into be the year later. Bobby and I stayed in contact and he really liked the shoe and what was going on. So then that happened. Um, and the idea for that was to basically take the atom bomb and like those therapy charts with the feeling, mm -hmm. we remixed it with the atom bomb. So awesome. that was so kind of iconic because it was the first time he ever really changed the, the expression on the atom bomb in that kind of detail. Um, and then, yeah, um, when that was kind of happening, unknown had reached out and that I was super excited about just to be mm -hmm. able to include like a basketball and athlete backed brand in a collection. And so one of the first items when it happened, I knew it was like, if we're doing anything, it's going to be a basketball. So <laughs> that, and then staple just dropped. So that was yeah, awesome. Yeah. So I love it very organically, but I, you know, whenever I do something, I want to make sure that like, it's not just here's this shirt mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on that for me. Well, as Gabby, as you always say, what's the meaning behind it, right? Which, what's the why, right? Like, why, why, why are we doing this? And I, I love that connection between what you do, obviously, right? And the importance of mental health, and obviously you champion that, but also 
your passion, which is obviously there for basketball as a, as a former baller yourself. Right. And your love for sneakers. I mean, that's just people, we talk about this all the time. Like there are ways you can combine what you love and what you're passionate about with things that are also seemingly that don't have a connection, right? Like it can happen. It's just a matter of being in the right place, knowing who you're talking to and, and letting that part of you shine through. And learning. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. I definitely went through a phase where like I was falling into the social media, like depths of hell where I was trying to be like the hype bay and like, the was, hype bay. it's a crazy place though. It's hard as a female in this space. I mean, yes. I, I love the outlets. Don't get me wrong, but I was like trying to be that like stereotypical, like streetwear sneaker girl, you know, with like being all cool. And I'll be honest, like it took my mental health for a spiral. Like I started comparing myself to other people. I got in crazy debt because I was buying like hair and Preston and off white just to like look cool for social media. And then I wouldn't wear it because I already wore it once and took a photo in it. Like I went down that road. I know what it's like. And for me now, like I see people in that and I have empathy for them, but it's also like, I know, like I can't surround myself with that because I don't want to go back down that road. Um, but it's very real. Like even within sneakers, you know, just seeing people like buy stuff or like buy shoes, like, do you actually like the shoe or do you like that? It has a a huge resale value and might get you a repost on complex if you post a photo wearing it. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that self-awareness too, Liz. I mean, that's a, that's just what you hit on right there. You're basically saying I'm aware and I know what will happen to myself if I'm around that. Right. And that ties of course, back into mental health, but having the tools, right. You said your parents started you young. So you have the tools now as an adult and so many people, and it's let's start wherever you are. Right. But just start getting those tools in your toolbox. So you're ready to handle scenarios that come your way. God, I could talk to her for hours about this stuff, but we don't have time for that. Oh, stay tuned because coming up next, America's favorite segment, Shoe and Tell, presented by Another Lane, the premier digital marketplace for dope kicks. Stay tuned. Hey guys, we're back and you know what time it is. America's favorite segment, Shoe and Tell, presented by Another Lane, the premier digital marketplace for dope kicks. You know, we talk about Chad and Adina every week and we talk about, in the last segment, Liz is talking about, you know, going down that road of hype beast culture and how it could be so bad for you. And, you know, if you're not in the right uh frame of mind you know what's a great place to go to if you just are all about the culture and you're not really caught up in the hype and whatever and it's just like look here's some shoes here's some like-minded people anotherlane.com so go check them out tell chad and adina i sent you that's not going to get you any like deals at all i mean don't be mad if they don't give you any extra extra stuff but just tell them you were referred by the kicks and shit show and uh we would greatly appreciate that listen liz Shoe and Tell is really your segment, so you kick it off. All right. So I didn't pick any super hyped shoes. We um, love it. We love it. Love that. And in honor of the Sixers taking the first round last night. Billy Unite. <laughs> there was three silhouettes that are super meaningful to me that had two of them that had a, well, all of them that had a huge influence on my upbringing in Pennsylvania. So the first pair is the answer or release um just a classic shoe i mean i'm i the step over colorway just dropped so i'm gonna have to pick those up eventually but yep when i was young i wanted these shoes so bad these were the the, the, this is the specific silhouette that secured my love of ai right here this is like the 2001 era Allen iverson shoe 
And for me, I wanted them so bad. The local store, which was Schuylkill Valley Sports, which is where I bought the shoes. Love that. They didn't have my size. I was oh. young. I bought a men's nine and wore them religiously. I was in fifth, sixth grade at the time and <laughs> wearing size like a men's nine. I'm a men's seven now. So <laughs> what'd you do? Wear like 78 pairs of socks to make sure they didn't fall off? That's amazing. My mom thought I was absolutely out of my goddamn mind, which I probably was, but she got it. She understood how obsessed with AI I was. I love it. Like, so yeah, these shoes were like the first pair that I can remember buying and I needed, needed them so badly that I was like, screw it. I'm going to get the only size that they had. Love it. Um, love that. So the questions, the OG red suede. Oh, yeah. These are super nostalgic for me, um, mostly because these were one of the first pairs that I played basketball in. Oh. Um, so, yeah, it just, everyone in my hometown was Sixers, 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 and it was always the questions. AI wasn't that big in my life at this point because it was like rookie year, 96. I was like five or six at this point. <laughs> so I don't even know if I even knew who he was, but these are just nostalgic now looking back on his history in Philly. Um, they're the OG. I had to have them. Love it. I love that mid cut too. You know, I feel like that was like the first shoe that the mid was like mm-hmm. cool in a way that nobody dogged on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the hexal hexalite in yep. the middle yep. always fascinated me. Mm-hmm. Like it's squishy, and I don't know why, but I I like that. <laughs> <laughs> squishy hexalite, love it. <laughs> All about the details. This last pair is the BBC um, Answer Fives. So this pair is significant. I when I was young, I used to wear the red and white colorway and the black and silver colorway to hoop in. Um, and I always loved the silhouette. Just it was it was different. Like at the time, like this whole thing going over the front was just like it was different. There wasn't anything really out there like it. But this pair in particular, I wore right before COVID hit. Mm. It was February. I went to see Post Malone in Philly. Obviously, I love Post Malone. He's framed on our <laughs> love, love it, love um, it. So his song White Iverson in <laughs> Philly, wearing these. I it, it was a vibe, yeah. Iconic. Well, he signed them. Oh, um, okay, it's amazing. Look, look, look at that flex. <laughs> yeah, and he because we were like right down front, and I like had I took my shoes off. I was like, here, please sign them. And he, <laughs> shoot or shoot, man, shoot or shoot. These are sick, and I was like, well, I want them back. So <laughs> sorry, they're not a men's nine. I need them back. <laughs> and that was. That was it. So yeah, those are the only three pairs I brought down. I actually am downstairs today. My fiance is upstairs working. So I just grabbed some off my shelf. But because because we have seen on Instagram your sneaker closet and it is uh it is quite the closet. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I know I was kind of expecting some new balances to make it in the mix, but I respect the assortment. It's just because of the events of last night. I have to. See, this is what I, I love and respect about Liz so much. I mean, she is Philly, like all the way through, like there's no like pretense and you know how important Iverson is to her, right? Just based on the shoes she brought out, right? And how much of a 76ers fan she is, right? And this is the kind of fan behavior people that I can support and co-sign that. 
That's what I love, right? Like a respectable, like she's, she's not going out there wilding out. She's just like, look, man, I love my squad. I'm going to show you how much the squad means to me. Love that. Love that. I love those shoes too. Shouts to Allen Iverson, man. They're, I mean, here's someone who talk about trauma in your life. Holy hell, right? Like, and, and right. And, and to literally like still be like standing like today, like that's it's kind of impressive, right? When you really think about what some of these players have gone through in yeah. their lives and to back that they even made it to the NBA, you're like, like how- and that draft class he was a part of. Oh, yeah. The, the 96 draft class, yeah. one of the iconic draft classes mm-hmm. of all time. Yeah, it's uh it, it that, that's that's something. Well, folks, this has been another rousing episode of the Kicks and Shit Show. We want to thank Liz B. Croft for joining us. Liz, tell the people where they can find you. You can find me in Brooklyn. No, I'm <laughs> at my- <laughs> no you can find me on Instagram at Liz the letter B and then Croft C-R-O-F-T. Um, and then my private practice platform is mental sesh, M-E-N-T-L dot sesh, S-E-S-H. I mean, folks, think about it. If you got someone you need to talk to, she sounds great. And if you like basketball, even better. I mean, this sounds like a win to me. And folks, you know where you can always find us. Of course, we are part of that Count the Dings family on the Bomb podcast feed. You can find us with cool uh, rap names, uh, Crazy Sexy Cool, Woke Bros, The Original Bomb Show. I mean, all those amazing shows. And of course, Kicks and Shit Show, part of that bomb feed. Make sure you check us out. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. We are at Kicks and Shit Show on all social media platforms. And until next time, peace.